I know you don't want to go to that last class. Well, it's been good worshiping with you uh, this semester, and uh, as I've been reflecting upon this semester, um, you hear the radio? We get that through the speakers for some reason, so we'll just stop and listen to WWEZE, whatever the radio station is. Uh, as I've been reflecting on the semester, I just wanted to touch upon a few points, and we're going to conclude. Uh, we're going to conclude the semester the way we began it when I first spoke by having communion together, and the faculty and staff are here today, uh, many of them, and they're going to serve you as uh, we conclude the semester together. And it is the time of Advent, and we've just been through the first Sunday in Advent, and I, I complain every Advent, I complain every Lent that I don't get to journey with you through that period because you go your separate ways, but. I want to encourage you to be part of a church community when you're home and make that Advent journey with a community. Um, I do miss you when you leave and uh, wish we could be worshiping together, but I know you have church homes, or I hope that you do or pray that you do and ask that you, you worship with them through the Advent journey, and then we'll gather together back here in January. But you may remember the first chapel of the semester uh, as the faculty came marching in in their regalia, and we hear from the president, which is a tradition now here at ENC. Uh, the purpose and the reason for starting that way is to make the point that your academic journey, your time in the classroom, your time studying like you will be doing all weekend, all of that time is in itself an act of worship. And because we are a Christian community, we must recognize that it's not just when we gather corporately, though that is a form of worship, as we gather together as a community, you have a responsibility as a follower of Christ, as a believer, to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you, the right to earn a college education, and we begin that way to recognize the sacredness that comes with this gift that you've been given. And with this gift comes great responsibility. And so when you are in the classroom and when you're studying, recognize it as an act of worship and be faithful and a good steward of the gift. The second chapel of the semester is when we had communion. And I introduced a theme that we stayed with throughout the semester and that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? What does it mean to be a part of the, the kingdom of God? What does that mean? What does that look like? And in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16, we see this, uh, this point in the, in the teaching of the disciples. I called it deeper discipleship, where the disciples have been following Jesus. They've seen him feed 4,000. They've seen him feed 5,000. They've seen him raise the dead. They've, they've seen him do all these miraculous things and heard these incredible teachings, but now Jesus is taking them to a deeper level. He's going to require of them and call them to a deeper commitment. Uh, you may remember it is that passage of Scripture where... Uh, Peter says, no, I'll never let that happen to you, Jesus. I'll never let you be crucified. I'll never let that happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God must come, and you must get behind me. Not that he's calling Peter Satan himself, but what he's saying, you are a hindrance to me because that is a temptation. So we can recognize that Jesus himself understands temptation. So when you, can go through, when you go through temptation, you know that Jesus has been there as well, and he's simply saying, you are my friend, I love you. A few verses earlier in Matthew 16, he tells Peter, upon you I will build my church. And then five, six verses later, he says, get behind me, Satan. It's just that Jesus was tempting him, and his own friend was doing that. Do you know that you can harm someone else in their spiritual journey? That how you choose to live and what you choose to see, say can harm another person in their spiritual journey. May we never live in such a way. We then were introduced by the Student Development Office as we introduced the new community covenant, a covenant where we commit to serving Christ and being a Christian community and caring for one another and loving one another. There are statements in there. We recognize this institution's call to be faithful followers of Christ, seeking to know, love, and serve God, respect the dignity of fellow members of the community, and serve the world. 
later on, it says, we will embrace the Christian responsibility of a shared life together, offering service without expectation of return, remaining loyal amidst difficulties, holding ourselves accountable to our peers, and building upon the Christian foundation. So this semester, have you embraced the Christian responsibilities of a life shared together? Have you embraced and lived those responsibilities, or have you lived in a way that possibly harmed someone else on their spiritual journey? We acknowledge that as members of the community, we have responsibilities to love, respect, and honor one another, and we must never live in a way that would harm another, and we must hold each other accountable. We then, uh, I don't know if you remember, we text, we were going through this texting phase in, in chapel where we were voting for things like, what was your favorite Sour Patch Kid? Very deep theological questions we were asking. And you know, we have the new coffee shop, the new cafe, and uh, the student development office did a great thing. They opened it up for you to name the cafe. So there were 150 submissions. Uh, the cabinet did go through and take out about 100 of those, all of which were sacrilegious, so we didn't even want those as an option for the name of the cafe here at Eastern Nazarene College. And then uh, a group of students narrowed it down to three, and do you remember the three? It was Hebrews Cafe. Do you remember the other two? Lion's Den, Squirrel's Nest. I voted for Squirrel's Nest. We need something dedicated to the squirrel here at ENC. They are an active member of this community. Uh, we live in community with them. We have meals together with them. I see them all over the campus eating our food. Uh, we must dedicate something to the squirrel. So that's my, my little push for the squirrel movement here. When we were getting a new mascot, I was pushing for the squirrel. I love the lion, but I thought the squirrel would be a, a good one. And uh, I know some of you had submitted Hebrews. A lot of you had submitted in different ways. Some of you submitted he-brews, as if it's just masculine. If God is just masculine, and then others were just Hebrews Cafe. So we went with Hebrews Cafe, and in my devotional reading a few weeks after that, you know, I was big on the squirrel's nest. I was like, Hebrews Cafe? I mean, it's kind of funny, I guess. It's kind of cute and sweet or whatever. And, but I was reading through the book of Hebrews, and I, I came across a verse in chapter 13 that I had forgotten about that I think fits well with the theme of the cafe. And I, I, this hasn't been adopted as the official theme. I don't think they're we're looking for a theme. But it's Hebrews 13, 1 and 2a, which simply says, Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters, and don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. May we be such a community, not just in the cafe, but that's great if we could put that on the wall somewhere. Look how, you see how I do that? I say that publicly. And now, like... Now, like the administration, which I'm on, has to do that. Did you like how I did that? But may we be such a community where we truly keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters, and let us not forget to show hospitality to others. Reverend Larry Taylor from uh, Washington, D.C., taught us a song, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're a little bit slow in learning, and it took us like 20 minutes to learn the song. But over and over and over again, we kept hearing, we kept singing, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when I was your age and when I was younger, I kept thinking, well, when I'm married and have children, if God blesses me in such a way, yeah, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But personally, your life is the house of God. Your dorm room is the house of God. Where you work is the house of God. Is your house serving the Lord? We moved into Matthew chapter 18 as I was continuing the theme of of the kingdom of heaven, and something caught me by surprise as I was preparing where Jesus says you must forgive 70 times 7. So Jesus introduces this theme of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He introduces... The wow, this is awkward. 
uh, I'm sorry about this. I don't know what's... Wow. I don't know what that was all about. We're just recapping some things that happened in chapel this semester. I don't know how that ties in. Um, I don't. But as we move forward with the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, it, it caught me by surprise that the first parable, the first teaching that Jesus talks about is this theme that the... I don't know what these guys are doing. You guys all right? This is really not part of the program. I have no idea what's going on. I don't need you for like another ten minutes, but uh, I need you in about another five minutes. But if you guys are comfortable over there, just stay there. That's fine. We don't. But the first part about it being the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, Jesus says, you must forgive. It fascinated me that Jesus' first lesson was not go and care for the poor or visit the prisoner or, or care for the least of these, though that is coming. But Jesus' first teaching, at least in Matthew's Gospel, about what it means to be kingdom people is to be a forgiving people. And that if we are truly people and truly citizens of the kingdom of God, we must be a forgiving community. Seventy times seven, Jesus is not just saying 490 times. He's saying it cannot be calculated how often you must forgive. So may we be a forgiving people. Later on, I then continued into Matthew 20 in the next in the next chapel that I spoke where the people of, of the kingdom of God live a life of gratefulness, where we're thankful for what we've been given. You may remember it's the parable of the vineyard where he sends out the workers early in the morning and then every two hours uh, he goes and gets more workers and keeps bringing them in even to the, the five o'clock hour, the late hour. And those that worked just one hour got paid first. And those that had been there all day in the hot vineyard, in the, in the vineyard working so hard, they got paid the same amount. And they're saying, why, why didn't we get, why are they getting the same amount we have been given? And the parable is teaching us that we must be thankful for whatever gifts God has given us. Because none of us are worthy of the gifts of God that we've been given. And to look to others and compare to others is not part of the kingdom of God. No, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, we must be a, a grateful people. Maybe many of you remember when we had the Boston Night of Worship group here in Zenza Matoga. Uh, led us in four or five songs, and then I know a lot of you went to the Boston Night of Worship, but I'm hearing uh, Zenzo saying over and over and over again as he was including that chapel, make Jesus your number one. Make Jesus your number one. Live in such a way where Jesus is your number one. And as he called those that wanted to make Jesus forward, uh, make Jesus number one in their life, 30 to 40 of you came forward and, and testified to that, that you want Jesus to be first in your life. And we give God praise for that. We had Dr. Tim Green come for our revival, and he did a great series on the, on the Lord's Prayer. And the, the part of the Lord's Prayer that he really focuses on is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And then he did a great thing for me. He went back and cleaned up all the sermons I had messed up uh, before he arrived and, and gave even greater clarity to it and that we must be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And Homecoming Chapel, you were so gracious and kind to those alum that came back, and we recognized some. Not to put them on a pedestal per se, but to recognize the incredible things they have done for God and His church. And I appreciate the way you showed them great respect and honored them. I went on to preach from Matthew 21 after that, 21, 23, 23 through 32, where 
Jesus is talking to the two sons, and he sends them out into the vineyard. Again, the vineyard is a symbol of the kingdom of heaven, and will you work in the vineyard? And the first son says, I will go, but then does not. And the second son says, I will not go, but then he does go. Which son are you? Do you proclaim and glorify God here in chapel or in your church community, and then when you leave, you live a different way? You really don't go into the vineyard at all. You just give lip service to it. I liked how Dr. Sam Vassell, when he was here last year, said that taking the Lord's name in vain is not verbally taking the Lord's name in vain, though we shouldn't, shouldn't do that either. But really taking the Lord's name in vain is proclaiming with your lips that you glorify God, that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that you glorify God with all your life, and then you go and live away contrary to that. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. So which son are you? You may remember, that's when we showed that little Twitter video at the end of, Will you be one that clicks to follow Jesus? But when times get difficult in the dorm or when times get difficult in your home or things aren't going the way you'd like them to or there's too much pressure and people are watching you and questioning your Christian witness, will you then click unfollow and decide not to go into the vineyard? Yes, the parable of the two sons. And then all of us remember one chapel, one that really stands out to all of us. And maybe instead of talking about it, Maybe I should just show you.
just realized two things. One, I forgot to sign it. And two, I forgot love. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I, was, I, was a, I was a little nervous. <laughs> so I, don't, I wanted to finish right at that point the song. And uh, I hope my spelling's right. I, I'll, I'll write in love afterwards. But uh, Eric Timms, and you can see how our, painting, our artwork is similar. I can't believe I forgot love. But I remember the Eric's message where he talked about repainting Jesus. And as he was painting up, for those of you who weren't in that chapel, we had an artist who was painting upside down. And as he's painting, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done bringing this guy in? This guy can't paint. And uh, Then he flipped it, and then we could see that it was uh, the face of Christ. And his message was to repaint Jesus, that maybe you've heard something growing up in the church, or you've experienced something, and your view of Jesus has been harmed because of that. And he's encouraging us to, to repaint Jesus, to live in a way that we think Jesus would want us to live. And we look to the Word of God, and we look to the history of the church, and we look to Christian communities of faith, and we ask ourselves, how would Jesus live? It's not just WWJD, what would Jesus do, but what does a life of holiness look like? What does a life fully surrendered to Jesus look like? What would it mean for us to repaint Jesus? And I appreciated uh, Eric and his ministry. And I'll obviously get some tutoring lessons from him. We moved into our missions chapel where Dr. Rick Power talked about the call to missions, whether it's a call here in the United States or a call globally, that we have a responsibility to take the gospel of Christ all around the world. Then I moved into Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, and it's there that I uh, sang a song by TLC. Do, do you remember the song? Scrubs. A scrub is a guy who can't get no love. But in uh, hanging out the side of the passenger side, his best friend's right. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, Matthew chapter 22 talks about uh, this great wedding banquet. Uh, this great wedding banquet that a king is throwing. And it's a depiction of the kingdom of God, and the first that are invited do not show. And so the king says, Go out into the streets and invite everyone. Invite everybody to come in. And, and everyone comes in, and then there's this this guy who's not properly dressed for a wedding, and it kind of bothered me every time I read that text. Why? Because the, the king says, throw him out on the streets. And I'm thinking, he had no time to prepare. Maybe he didn't have time to go home and change or something. You know? He, I know he looks like a scrub, but you shouldn't just throw him to the street. That doesn't seem very loving. And When we realize that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, we realize that all have been invited to the kingdom. All have been invited to the party. All have been invited into the presence of of the king. And when we are invited into the presence of the king and we go before the king, we must change. We cannot stay the same. It's not about just getting our soul saved so we can go to heaven. When we, when we come into the presence of the king, we must be changed. We must live a life of holiness. So, you've been invited to the celebration. You've been invited to the party. And it is full of grace. It is full of mercy. It is full of love. And you must respond. And you must live a holy life. For you're in the presence of the King. In one week, we had Dr. Nancy Detweiler and Felina Hewitt's share in chapel. And both of them, though I didn't expect it, um, I, I saw them connected, actually, because... Dr. D, as she shared her life story and was very vulnerable with you and shared some of her journey, she talked about how it was a church community that made a difference in her life. 
and how it was a church community where she learned about Eastern Nazarene College and how it was a church community that really God used that community to save her and to change her. It made a difference in her life. And then Felina, who and Chris, her husband, who are here, how they talked about how they care for the poorest of the poor, and they have seen some horrific situations that we can only read about, and even then when we read it, we can't stomach it. We can only read so far and say we can't read anymore. And after she spoke, I shared with you how I learned that they were raising a little girl in India who had AIDS, and after 10 years she passed away, and they buried her a few years ago. So there's this tremendous grief and sorrow for the vineyard work that they've been called to. And I think for Chris and Felina, she talked about a new form of prayer, if you will. It was new to many. It's often referred to as contemplative prayer. What she was simply saying is 20 minutes in the morning, she just decides to sit in the presence of God. And 20 minutes in the afternoon, she just sits in the presence of God. And I've come to the understanding whether it's that type of prayer or whether it's some other form of connecting with our God, whether it's stopping, being, delighting, and thanking. That is what sustains us. A church community is what sustains us and brings us through difficult times. I know it's not perfect. I know it's not perfect. And it's not just, I'm not talking about just a a five-minute devotional time. I know we often feel like, well, I'm not right with the Lord right now because I didn't do devotions for a week or two. Don't hope when you heard Father Frank last week, you you walked away realizing it's more of just stopping, being, and delighting and thanking that you are in the presence of God. It's what sustains us. It's what gets us through. And then I moved into the book of Lamentations. Just a few more, and then we'll go to the Lord's table. Lamentations chapter 3, as I share with you, the book of Lamentations is a book of sorrow and grief and lament, and we don't like to go to it. Church often doesn't like to go to it because who wants to talk about sin and grieving and lamenting over their sin? I mean, it's just, it's just such a heavy book. And then we come to these beautiful verses in, in chapter 3. After he's just lamenting and all the difficulties in life and all the struggles, yet I will still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will, hope, I will hope in him. I would like to suggest that there are signs of hope. Signs of hope and mercy all around you. Signs of the kingdom of God all around you. Signs of mercy and hope even in the darkest of days. And when you see these signs of hope, will it make a difference? When you see these great things of God's mercy, will it make a difference in your life? Or as it says in Lamentations 1, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Signs of hope and mercy all around you, even here in this community. Then we had Pastor Bruce Wall who gave a wonderful message, but what really stands out to me, I don't know if you remember, that was 11-11-11 day. People all over the world were saying that 11-11-11-11-11, I'm going to say wish or kiss my girlfriend, I don't know, do something, whatever you're supposed to do at 11-11-11. So at 11-11-11-11, there were 50 members of this community kneeling at the altar as Pastor Bruce Wall prayed for each of us and prayed for revival and renewal in this community. It just seemed to be the appropriate way to mark the moment. 
Last week I spoke on Exodus chapter 3, these holy ground moments in our lives. And like Moses, we often negotiate them away. Lord, no, I, I can't do that. I'm not a gifted speaker. They won't listen to me. Who, no one pays attention to me. It's this dialogue of negotiation in Exodus. And I suggested to you that you've had holy ground moments and you've gone through the dialogue of negotiation. It may not look like Moses, but you've negotiated in other ways. You've turned and run. You develop a critical spirit towards the church. When you have a critical spirit towards the church, it, it, it's almost a defense mechanism. It's almost a negotiating tactic. Well, I'm not going to be a part of that because. So you negotiate with God. You have these holy ground moments. I would suggest being here at college and earning a college education is a holy ground moment. Will you be faithful with it? Or will you sleep it away or play video games all night and do other things that are harming this gift that you've been given, this holy ground moment? May we be faithful in the holy ground moments. And then last week, we had Father Frank reminding us of prayer, reminding us that we are sustained, we are nourished when we really stop, be, delight, and thank. I'm so convinced it is that time of prayer, that nourishment, whatever it may look like for you, that is what gets us through. That is how God sustains us in communities of faith and in our prayer time. In the last two weeks, probably more than I've had since being here in four years, I've had students come into my office um, discouraged by things they're seeing or some, what some friends are going through and how their friends may not be living up to the fullest potential that God has for them, and they're really wrestling with, how do I respond to this? Is God even at work in their life? Is God even at work in my life? Is God even at work in this community? And, and sometimes very discouraged. And at the same time in the last two weeks, I've had more students come to me and say, can we do something centered in prayer? We have prayer warriors led by Kalik, and that group's going well. Thankful for his ministry. But there are others that have said, what about maybe having a group that meets in the basement of Wollaston Church during chapel that just prays for chapel? That's a good idea. Maybe even text down prayer requests or something. Another said, uh, uh, a younger alum who works here, Jay, was saying when he was here, and they had it when I was here, we called it Barnabas. And the Barnabas group met once a week, and all they did was send notes of encouragement to members of the community. It's a form of prayer. Then others, when Felina was here, and we had this 3 o'clock prayer time in Angel Chapel, which I asked her to do, I thought, well, you might get one or two people. I even called Edie. I said, Edie, can you go? Because I don't, I don't think anyone's going to show up. And I know I can't sit silently for 20 minutes, so I need you to go. And... Ten or twelve of you showed up and just sat, stopped, be delight, thank you. Maybe making time for that. Next week, certainly, I'm sure a lot of you will be very prayerful during finals week. But next, next semester when we return, do you want to be a person of prayer? Do we want to be a community of prayer? It's not just dependent on the chaplain or the religion professors or the professors. It's a call to a community to be of prayer. So may we stop, be, delight, and thank. And so we conclude these chapels for the semester in a similar, similar way we began the first week, by going to the Lord's table. I'm going to ask the faculty and staff who have agreed to help to come forward at this time. And for those of you who are not familiar, we here at Eastern Nazarene College in our theology in the Church of the Nazarene believe in an open table, and what that means is this, all are welcome. 
It is not our table to say who can come and who cannot. But we ask that you come reverently and respectfully in the name of the Lord. And before we partake of the elements, we're going to take a moment to have a prayer of repentance for you to ask for forgiveness for anything that you feel you need to ask for forgiveness for and so that your heart and life may be right for God, with God. Let us go to the Lord's table.
These are words to build a life on. These are your words. How can they be mine? These are words to build a life on. These are your words. I want them to be mine. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the weak, blessed are the ones who can barely speak. Blessed in your hurt now, blessed in your pain, blessed when your teardrops are falling down like rain. Blessed when you're broken, blessed when you're blind.